0: Well, hello, Rock Church. How are we doing? Good to be with you. My name's Caleb. I'm not one of those pastors with long hair or tattoos uh, that Brent was talking about. Whatever. Uh, it's good to be with you. I hope you had a great week. Uh, like Steele said, we had a busy week. We were in Nashville all week, and we just got back this morning. We left pretty early, so if I fall over from tiredness, just, like, spray me with some water or something. But, uh, yeah, we, uh, a few of us from the Rock Music had an opportunity to go to Nashville, Uh, We recorded some music, wrote some music, had some neat interview opportunities. We led worship at a small uh, session of a convention in Nashville. And, uh, real quick, I just want to make you aware we're going to be releasing a bunch of music this year that we're excited about original music, some cover stuff. Uh, The next song we're going to release is All Hail King Jesus. We've been singing it for a few years. Yeah, so we're excited. I just want to put it on your radar. It's coming in a few weeks. It's like the week before Easter. It's pretty fitting, that song, I think, before Easter. Uh, We would love for you to. Uh, Pre save it if you would at the link there, trc.live slash all hail. It just helps us with all the dumb algorithm stuff. It's really tedious, but it would just be helpful. So I would ask you to do that. That's a small, short plug, but let's move on with Romans, why we're really here. Uh, the Word of God. Uh, this is part 39 of our Romans study. We're going to be in Romans 13. If you have your Bible, you can open to verse 8. I'm entitled this message, Clothed in Christ. If you recall, for 11 chapters, the Apostle Paul shared some very deep theological truths teaching how the righteous shall live by faith and will be saved by faith alone. And in chapter 12, this turn happened to more practical instruction for the Christian to live by on earth. Real life, day-to-day ways that we can present our bodies as living sacrifices, right? That was Romans 12.1. Paul has been sharing these practical ways that we can love each other, that we can serve one another, we can serve those around us, the lost. How we should live as citizens under earthly government while being citizens of God's kingdom. Josh shared that last week. All of that, in all of that, Paul's aim and charge is love. We need to understand this. All of these practicals that Paul has shared thus far in chapter 12 and 13 is an overflow of God's love that has been shown to us. And Paul has charged Christians to show that love to the world, both to other Christians in the church and also to the watching world who needs salvation. Even last week, you need to know when, when Paul took this little detour to instruct about submitting under governing authorities, the heart of that call for the Christians was to live out a behavior of love. It was not as if Paul just went through chapter 12 talking about love and then all of a sudden was like, let me just make this random turn to government and then he comes back and goes, actually, let me get back to love. All of it is a free flowing thought of love, of how we are to live as vessels of God's love into this world in our families, in the church, in our communities, in our, as citizens of earthly nations. And ultimately by teaching this and emphasizing that love that it is so important for the Christian life, Paul is just echoing the words of Jesus. You remember, Jesus said, what is most important in this life? What is God's most important commandment for us? Jesus said, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. He wants a relationship of love. And then second is this, Jesus says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. This is so important for us to understand how we live out those two commands is essential for our own lives. It is essential for our effectiveness for the gospel. And what we'll see today in our verses in Romans 13 is that it can be a key for our battle with sin, love for others, how we live that love out. So let's pray, and then we'll dive into Romans 13. Jesus, we love you. We just thank you for a chance to sing to you, Lord. I thank you for the truth that we sang tonight, that you are so beautiful, Lord. We just want to rest. We just want to awe. We just want to sit and look at your beauty and tell you that you're beautiful, that you are holy. Even now, as we look at your word, Lord, would you do that by your holiness, by your goodness, by your love? Would you teach us? Speak to your children. Pray that your words would go out tonight and we just commit it to you and pray that in your name amen. amen so let's look at romans 13 verse 8 oh no one anything except to love each other for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law for the commandments you shall not commit adultery you shall not murder you shall not steal you shall not covet and any other commandment are summed up in this word You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. So if you remember back in verse six last week, Paul told Christians that when they have a debt to pay, they should pay it. Specifically, he talks about pay your taxes, pay the debt that you you owe to the government. In the same way here though, Paul is saying if you owe someone something, pay it. Make sure it does not go unpaid that you do not owe anyone anything. When your bills are due, pay them. When your mortgage is due, pay it. There could be a whole mini message here about the dangers of excessive debt, about biblical values with finances, about our overextending ourselves in our society of how our world just pushes debt, 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 and that is not what God wants us to just live in that rat race. But that is not for today. We've given those talks before and, uh, but just so you know, God has a lot to say in this book about your finances, about your debt, about wise financial stewardship. It's important to him. So I would encourage you to look into that. But Paul is here is saying don't owe anyone anything except to love. What Paul is essentially saying is we have this love debt that is owed that can never fully be paid up. If you pay your tax bill, It's paid for a year, right? You don't owe it again. You don't have to worry about it. But when you show someone love in the way that Paul is calling Christians to in Rome, he is saying you are still going to need to love them the very next minute. You still owe them a love debt right after that. The debt of love can never be fully paid. We have an obligation of love that we owe to all of those around us in the church and even to those around us who are not believers, to love like Christ love. Christ is our example. He fully loved, he fully gave himself, even to the point of death. That is the example that that he shows us of true love, Jesus. In 2 Corinthians 5, Paul talked about how the love of Christ that he experienced, that he received, it compelled him to action. It controlled him, in fact, It's like the love that I have for my kids. It compels me to smother them. I just have to do it. Or the love that I have for cinnamon rolls. I have to stop at Cinnabon when I walk by it. Right? Or how I'm compelled to sing the high harmony while singing happy birthday. Like it just, I'm urged to do it. I have to do it. Paul was made a new creation by the love of Christ. And in that new creation, in that new purpose, as a new creature, he had to love the people around him. Christ was his master. He had to live like Christ. He had to love like Christ. So here in Romans 13, Paul makes this connection that Jesus, with Jesus' teaching from Mark that we read, that the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. They are living out the law as they are supposed to. So that is our first main point today, that loving others is how we obey God's law. James the half-brother of Jesus wrote about loving people without sin, without partiality, without prejudice. And he says the same as Paul here, that loving your neighbor as yourself is a fulfillment of the law. I'm sure some of you here have heard this and are, hearing, are wondering what that means. Am I hearing that right? Maybe you're asking. I thought I'm not under the law anymore, right? Isn't that what Romans has taught us already so far? You might be asking, don't I have freedom in Christ? The Bible says, I am free. And the answer to all of that is yes. If you have placed your trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord, you are free. Free from eternal punishment. Free from having to earn your salvation and earn favor with God. Free from being in bondage to sin. But what does the the scripture say that that freedom is for in this life? What are we supposed to use that freedom for? just to do whatever we want, or does God have a purpose with our freedom? Paul talked about it in his letter to the Galatians. He said, for you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love, for the whole law can be summed up in one command, love your neighbor as yourself. We keep seeing that. This is how we live obedient lives, surrendered to our master, our savior, our Lord and King Jesus. Love is our obligation. It is our debt, as Paul said, that we owe to those around us, not to earn, again, not to earn God's favor, not to climb some Christian ladder to make ourselves feel good, not to say, oh, look how loving I am, God, look how well I'm doing. No, it's instead to say, because God, you loved me when I was a mess, when I did not deserve love, I will show love to those who do not deserve love. But that's the holdup for us, isn't it, so often. God, thanks for the love, for showing me, for looking past my sin. I don't think I can do the same for others. You want me to love him? Have you seen how arrogant he is? I can't love him. Love her? She is a mess, how am I supposed to love her? Show love to my neighbor. Lord, have you seen the sign that they put in their yard? Have you seen the the pride flag that they hang over their, their door? Do you know who they voted for, God? I can't love them. Church, we need to understand this. We aren't called just to love the people that we get along with or can easily love without sacrifice. That's not love really anyway. Also, we aren't just called to hide and run from society, to run to our bunkers when we see the world's going off the rails, right? To live off the grid, to get away from everyone because the world's going to hell in a handbasket. How do we bring good? How do we bring love? How do we show Christ's love to people when we are not around them? That is what we're called to do. Our debt of love Flows from the fact that Christ showed us love when we didn't deserve it. And so we love others so that we can obey his commands. It fulfills the law. We see this further as we read again in verses 9 and 10 for the commandments you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Paul quotes four of the Ten Commandments here, quoting the commands of what God's people are not to do to other people. Paul says, the way that you keep from doing those things, the way you keep from not sinning in that way, is, by, is not by focusing on what you should not do, but focusing on what you should do, which is to love others. If we want to keep from sinning against others, we should focus not on the don'ts and we, on the can'ts, but we should focus on what we can do, what we should do, is to love them. Because if we are truly trying to love someone, we won't want to sin against them. Easier said than done, though. But we see this, our second point loving others changes us and protects us from sin. Love changes our motivation, it changes what we are aiming for, it changes how we live because we seek to live as love does like we see in 1 Corinthians. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. And hear this, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. That is what we're called to do in love to bear all things, to believe all things, to hope all things, to endure all things in love. The Christian life that we have been saved for is not all about going around saying, I can't do this, I can't do that, I can't say that, I can't think that, can't, 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 can't. It's not that. Of course, we've talked before in Romans in this series about how the law is a schoolmaster, right? It, It just reveals to us our sin, how how, de- how bad our sin is. It's like a mirror before us showing how, how messy we are in our sin. It reflects our true nature. It shows us our need for Jesus. That is true. But the law can't fix that problem. Too often, we, can only, we only focus on the negative, on the restrictions, on the what not to do. Do you feel that way? But by his grace, God's instruction, his word, in his love and his tenderness, he instructs us and tells us what we should do. We should set our sights on going out and loving others. And by doing what he says we should do, in that, by doing that, we should do as... uh, And somehow, in doing that, we are protected. We are protected from what we should not do. It's this wild thing. As we focus on what we should do, it kind of redirects us so that we're not doing what we shouldn't do. It is a call to go. That is what... But what we see here in Romans, it's a call to go and do, to go and show love, to go lay your life down for others. If we are focused on that, it protects us from sin. It helps us not want to lie, right? Those commandments that he listed, not want to lie, not want to cheat, not want to hate our neighbor or covet their stuff. Because we wouldn't want to do that to somebody that we truly love. For me, when I sin, just to be real with you, when I sin, it's often that I am making a choice to just love myself. I might even see the decision I'm about to make and go, yep, I'm gonna pick myself here. How can I love myself in this moment? How can I make myself feel good? How can I take revenge on someone who's hurt me? How can I get what they have and I think I deserve? That's not the heart or the posture of love. That's pride. It's selfishness. It's arrogance. It's coveting. It's greed, all the gross stuff we don't like to talk about. But if I have a view and a mindset of loving others by God's grace, I'll grow in not choosing what I want, but how I can serve them, how I can love them, how I can make them feel good, how I can make them feel valued. What will I how will I show my wife love? What can I do to show her love? How can I serve my kids and show them love? What can I do to show love to my lost neighbor? how can I go out of my way? And really, ultimately, all of that is just to ask, how can I please the Lord? What will bring him the most glory? That's what our posture should be in when we love others. I appreciated these two commentaries on Romans 13 about how the love of God, and the law of God are not at odds. It's not either or. It's not love or the law. John Stott said this, the commandments and their binding obligation do not interfere with the Exercise of love. There is no incompatibility. The commandments are the norms in accordance with which love operates. And Timothy Keller said, God's love or God's law is God's guideline on how to love others, how to do good for those around us. Paul is saying the laws are more than simply guidelines, they are love lines. The obedient thing is the loving thing. The loving thing is the obedient thing. If we want to love others, we will obey God's commands. So in Romans 12, 21, Paul is said to overcome evil by doing good. So loving others, it protects us from sin. We are seeking to do good. We are overcoming evil by doing good. And it starts to change us. Have you experienced that as you love somebody? Do you see a change in you? Do you feel a change in you? Maybe it's not perfect, but you start to see like, hey, I like this feeling of loving somebody else other than just myself, taking my eyes off myself. Loving and serving others changes who we are, how we live, how we think, and what we want to do. It can truly transform us. It's a common theme in movies and media and TV, how people change when they're trying to love someone. This, these two pictures tell you a lot about me. Uh, <laughs> seeking to love another can reveal your pride. It can reveal your prejudice, right? It can. It does that. It can show how big of a buffoon you are Like Michael Scott, right? And that you need to change. You need to grow up and change your priorities if you want to love somebody. There is something so compelling about seeing people grow and change and become better by truly loving another. Really, that's the power of love, right? I mean, that's why the song was written. It's the greatest song ever. I think, I think, it don't take money don't take fame, don't need no credit card to ride this train, right? It's the best song. If you need a good running song, listen to Power of Love. Anyway, uh, it'll change you. Um, But this isn't just some romantic love too. It's this love, ultimately, it's agape. It's unconditional love that God shows to all people and he calls us to show. This happens when we show love to our friends, our coworkers, our boss, our neighbors, the addicted, the broken, the skeptic. Trying to grow in this area of loving others has tremendously changed my life. I can't think of all the specifics, of course, but it's, it's not always easy. It's not always comfortable. It's not always what I want to do. It's not always what I do, right? If we're honest, I don't do it correctly, but it, it changes us. It's refined me. It's humbled me. It's grown me to enter into somebody else's world who's struggling, hurting, hurting, it makes you take your eyes off yourself and not just think about your own selfishness. Hope, uh, helping somebody, serving them, doing a project, helping them move, whatever it might be, it makes you so grateful for the people that serve you and love you. It just, it softens us. Have you experienced that? The Lord changes us as we love others, and it honors Him. Amen. Amen. Let's continue in Romans thirteen, verse eleven. Paul says, besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand, so then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Paul now wants to call the church in Rome, the listeners of this letter, to pay attention to the time that they are living in. He said it 2,000 years ago that every day, We are one day closer to the return of Christ. Know the day that you are living in. How much more true is that for us today? We need to heed this call, church, Christian. Let me ask you, why is it helpful to know the time? How is it helpful? Why do we need to be aware of this? Because it helps us to know how we're supposed to live, right? Help us to know what we're supposed to do how we should operate, what we should do, what we shouldn't do, what we should prioritize, what we shouldn't prioritize. Knowing the time informs us if we should be at work, should informs us if we should be in bed or if we should be out of bed already. If you don't know what time it is or if you're confused or deceived or not believing the truth about the time, what it really is, it will affect how you are living and it will affect your whole life. Paul here is saying that the unbelieving world around the Romans and around us is deceived. They think it's nighttime. They think it's party time to live it up to YOLO. And so they behave that way. They do, don't they? We know this is true. Paul is saying, actually, the dawn is at hand. Light is coming. Jesus is coming. Paul is saying, don't believe the lies you are hearing, church. Christian, it's time to wake up and walk in the light of day. So our third main point today is this. We need to wake up and put on Christ's armor. Many times in the Bible, the plea from prophets, God's people, is to tell followers of God to wake up. Live as if you are not asleep. Wake up. Don't be sleepwalking. We see that in Jesus's words here even. Therefore, stay awake for you do not know when the master of the house will come in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows are in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. That is a warning from Jesus to us. Who here struggles waking up early in the morning? Just me, right? Just me? No. For some of us, it doesn't come naturally to get up early. I'll be honest with you. The alarm clock can be a doozy. This morning, like Steele said, we had to get up around 3.30 to make it to the airport and it was rough. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, and that snooze button, man, who invented that? Like, (laughs) love it, but hate it. It's uh, not good. Uh, Who struggles with the snooze button? I mean, man, just know that if you're like me, if you're not one of those People that God saw uh, fit to have favor uh, with getting up early in the morning—you're uh, not alone in this struggle. A June 2023 poll said that over 12,900 Americans revealed that 64% of those that were asked are guilty of hitting the snooze button at some point, with 11% admitting they always do it, and uh, while 14% they do it often. So I'm somewhere in that 11 to 14%. Uh, Apparently, that's not good for your health. First of all, uh, you're not supposed to like you could have a heart attack or something, I guess, it's, or you're close, you're more likely to have one. So. Uh, but also, there's this practic- practical helpfulness that you see that if you just get up when you're supposed to get up, doesn't that help your day? Right? You're awake, you're up. It's day. You're awake. You go about your day. You don't have this haze of like, am I awake? Am I not awake? To my shame, there have been too many times that I've missed my alarm clock, not woken up uh, on time, or turned it off while asleep and slept through it, or altogether <laughs> forgot to set my alarm. Uh, and every time that has happened to me, it's either added significant pain or stress or uh, burden in my life and for others often, especially when it's related to catching a flight, right? I mean, we luckily, thank the Lord, we caught our flight this morning. Uh, I think I have missed a flight before from sleeping in, My parents weren't too happy about that. And uh, one time in particular, I remember we we had a layover. in uh, We were going to Rhode Island to see family, where we're from. And uh, we had this layover in Atlanta. We got bumped, I think. So we spent the night in a hotel. I uh, was like 18, so they put me up in my own hotel room. I was thinking I was all cool. And I didn't set my alarm. And I woke up to my dad just pounding on the hotel door, like, we have to leave right now. And uh, that was not fun, um, to my shame. I just struggle with it sometimes. But Paul is saying here that Christians need to wake up. The night is almost over. The time for sleepings over. Don't hit the snooze button. Don't get in that weird haze. Get up and live the way the Lord is calling you to live. Again, we must be alert of the times that we are in. Our world is asleep. People are, look like they are awake, but they are sleepwalking. And in that sleepwalk, they are overcome by sinful deeds of darkness. They don't realize that each day we are drawing to the return of Christ who will judge their dark deeds. The light of the world who is coming back and will bring the dawn and the day. It's like the first light of dawn coming over these East Mountains, right? What do those in our world do when they see the beginning of the light shining? They roll back over in their bed and continue on in their sin. But Paul wants to warn the Christians not to be deceived. Sadly, we can be lulled into that too, though, right? Doing the same as the world around us. It feels comfortable. It looks nice. They don't have a care in the world. So in light of Christ's imminent return, Paul is exhorting believers, readers of this book, to repent and forsake their sins and wake up. Paul says, when we wake up, we should put on the armor of God, the armor of light. Last year, for those of you that... We're there during our men 's nights and our ladies nights, both groups studied the armor of God in Ephesians six. It was a great year of study. You should listen to those messages. but Christian, you need the armor of God. we all do. We need to put it on. We need to wear it we 're in a battle, and we 're going out without armor. Christian, you need the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit. We need to be alert, to be protected, to have the armor that God has put before us. Are you doing this? Am I doing this? Are we doing this? Are we just rolling out of bed and walking through the battlefield in our pajamas like we're walking through Walmart? You've seen those people. Are we just those people? Are we just sleepwalking around like the rest of the world? We don't know what time it is. Are we just content to feed our flesh and to give in to our desires while people are headed to hell? Are we preparing for the return of the king who will ask us for an account of what we've done with our life? Every day, every minute, we are one step closer to seeing Jesus. How will he find us when he returns? Will we be asleep? Will we be sleepwalking? What will the answer be for you? Continuing in verse 13, it says, Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Paul crams a ton into these two verses alone. We could have a whole sermon off of just these two verses. Really, we could sit and unpack these all night, but we don't have time for that. Paul builds on his idea that the world is sleepwalking and living out deeds of darkness like as if it's night. The language Paul uses is that of clothing. He calls Christians to cast off the clothes of darkness and put on clothes of light, to take off the overcoat that is covering up and is just full of sin and and bad deeds, to cast that off. Paul knows that Christians are wrestling with the same temptations the world is. He's not naive to that fact. He's the very guy that says, I do what I don't want to do, and I don't do the things, very things I do want to do. He knows that wrestle, just like we do. He knows it's real. And if we're honest, we know that it, this is no surprise. In just these verses that we've looked at today alone, Paul has mentioned many temptations, many sins, many pitfalls. These have been sins that humans have dealt with since the fall in the Garden of Eden. They were dealt with heavily in the Roman Empire and no surprise, they are still happening today. Things like these, adultery, murder, stealing, coveting, orgies, drunkenness, sexual immorality, sensuality, quarreling, jealousy. In these lists, Paul is throwing everyone under the bus. If we're honest, just about all of us can look at these lists and find at least one or many, if we're really honest, that our flesh is just so drawn to and we struggle with and we wrestle with, and we have tendencies to wander towards, or we just full-on give ourselves to, so often, to our shame. Our world certainly does. And we are living in it. It's nothing new. This, this flesh, this sinful nature, just longs for these things. And Paul speaks not just of the public sins that are so easy to point out that we love to notice and point out and see, or to emphasize and not talk about the other ones that we struggle with. He also points to sins within the heart. He points out the sins that we commit with our lips and with our minds and with our hearts, like quarreling or coveting or jealousy. Those are on the same list? Paul thinks so. My observation here quickly is this, we are all thrown under the bus here. We should not see these lists and think, I hope so-and-so is hearing this. Are they Are they here? They need to hear this. <laughs> Honestly, we can look at these lists and go, yep, that's me. Or all of that is me. God's word is talking to me. It. I need his help. How lost, how desperate I am without him. Because we're all sinners. Let's not fall into this trap of pride and think so highly of ourselves because we may not struggle with the public ones, the ones that people can see. We all need to examine our hearts. We need to see where is it in my heart that I am drawn to walk in the dark deeds. We need to ask Jesus to help us and to help each other, love each other, to show grace to each other, to be honest with each other, to have a safe place that others can talk about their struggles. God's word Needs to help us, to, sh- to show us how to do that. How to pray for each other, how to extend grace, how to point each other to Jesus. Now you might look at this list and other places in the Bible and just so quickly be cut, uh, directly cut to the heart. And show that, you know, just feel like I'm so completely hope- hopeless without Jesus. Maybe you feel that right now. Maybe you feel like, how am I supposed to get free of these sins I'm the only one that struggles with them. Nobody understands. Maybe you feel like you've tried doing what Paul said in verse 12. You've tried to cast off the, the dirty clothes. You've tried to cast off the works of darkness, almost like you would tear off clothes that when, if, after you fell in the dumpster or fell in the sewer. Like, how quickly can I get these off of me? But then the truth is, the next day you put them back on. Maybe you feel that way. What then? How do you keep from falling back in the trash? How do you keep from falling back into the sewer? What I love about verse 14 here, Paul says he doesn't just tell them what to avoid. He tells them how to avoid it. He says this, put on the Lord Jesus. Put that on as your clothing. Put that on as your overcoat. Wear Jesus, put him on, put his armor on. It's like going to your closet and thinking through every day, like, what am I going to wear today? You wouldn't purposefully in the morning after you take a shower be like, where are the sewer clothes? <laughs> but that's what we tend back towards. Oh, do we not? In the morning, do we say, where, where is the overcoat of Jesus? Where can I put that on? Where can I put him on for today? for my protection so that I don't sin. It's not just don't sin, it is put on Jesus. Do something. Paul is saying, get up, wake up. Don't go out in your pajamas. Don't put on the smelly sewer clothes. Put on the armor of God. Picture that you are dressed in Christ. Don't you wouldn't put on nice clothes, like your finest suit or your, your best dress, and then go dumpster diving, would you? No, when you put on nice clothes, you're, you're careful you're more protective. You're like, oh, I can't go over there. I might get a stain on that or I might crease my suit. Once you know you're dressed in the best clothes, which you are in Jesus, wouldn't we want to avoid the dumpster? Because really that's already the reality for us Christian, which is our final point today. We are clothed in Christ's righteousness. We need to understand this. Ephesians 4 says, put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. This, is only, this can only be done by the spirit of God. We can't do this on our own. But this is true for you. If you have put your trust in him, if you have been saved by faith, you are walking by faith. You're being sanctified by faith. He has clothed you with his righteousness, Christian. He has clothed you with his royal clothing. He has made you free. He doesn't want you to put the sin-stained overcoat back on. That clothing. And he doesn't want you to put on the nice clothes and then run to the pig pen. He doesn't want us to do that. As Paul wrote earlier, he has given us an armor that we can put on To go back to that idea of putting on the armor of God, really, even that is putting on Christ. The armor that Paul was talking about, of course, he saw Roman soldiers, but throughout the Old Testament, it was prophesied that the Messiah would come wearing armor, and one day he will come back wearing armor. It talks about the armor that he was dressed in, and that is the armor of God that we need to put on Paul was steeped in that imagery of the Messiah in the Old Testament. He knew what he was talking about. Jesus is the warrior king. He has won the war of sin already. He will return and he will claim his ultimate victory. And he has given us his armor to put on in the meantime while we wait for him to return. He can make us like him. Are you putting on Jesus? Are you putting on the armor that Jesus has put on you and offered to you? Do you read your Bible? Are you reading your Bible? Are you putting on his truth on you? Are you praying? Are you in fellowship with the church more than just coming here and then leaving? Are you in true fellowship with believers who know you, who encourage you, who can point you to Jesus? Are you studying the word of God? Do you dive into the things of Jesus? Spiritually act each day like you're putting on an overcoat that says, I am wanting to walk in the light today. And as you pursue Christ, put away the things in your life that are creating temptation or drawing you back to do the uh, deeds of the dark. Remove the distractions that keep you from putting on Jesus every day. Remove the distractions that keep you out of your Bible. What are those distractions? But again, the first motivation isn't don't sin, don't sin, don't sin, don't sin. It is put on Christ. Do something positive. Put on Jesus. Put on the armor. Look to him. Be clothed by him. When you stumble and you get that yuck back on you, cast it away. And remember, you are clothed in Christ. Run to him. I remember seeing a dear brother when we were down in Provo years ago. It was just, his life was wrecked by addiction. He was going to lose his family. He was going to lose his job in and out of jail. And the Lord gripped him. And it wasn't that, okay, I'm not going to sin, I'm not going to sin, I'm not going to sin. I saw a transformation in him that he wanted to just be with Jesus. He just wanted to follow him, whatever that meant. And there wasn't, that didn't mean there wasn't stumbling, didn't mean that there wasn't lapses. But to see his life transformed, to overcome addiction one step at a time, the Lord sanctified him and changed him as he sought to pursue Christ. It wasn't don't sin, it was put on Christ. So to end, I just want to read a few verses that speak to how we are clothed in Christ. If you struggle to believe this truth, if you struggle to walk in it, I would encourage you maybe memorize one of these verses. Isaiah 61:10 says, "I am overwhelmed with joy in the Lord my God, for He has dressed me with the clothing of salvation and draped me in a robe of righteousness. I am like a bridegroom dressed for his wedding or a bride with her jewels." He has dressed us. Galatians, for you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. That is our reality, believer. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So finally, let me ask you, Something to think about as you drive home tonight. Maybe consider tomorrow when you're reading your Bible, when you're praying, is this. What are you clothing yourself in? Are you walking around in your pajamas, your dumpster diving clothes? Or are you putting on the armor of God and walking in the truth that you were clothed in Christ to walk in new life? Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for your word. I thank you, Jesus, that you... Speak to us by your scripture, through your spirit, that you are near, you are active, you are teaching us, Lord. And thank you that we can hear from you, Jesus. I pray that you would help your kids as they leave from this place to take one step closer to you and one step, one action closer to turning away from the darkness and walking in the light, to love others, not just to focus on not sinning, but to do something positive like love others the way that you loved us. Lord, would you help us, whatever that is in our lives, would you help us to surrender to you more this week, to love you more this week? We just pray this in your name, Jesus, amen.